The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me. Today we're going to talk about a dangerous reality that involves far more children and adults worldwide than we can even account for, sex trafficking. We are going to consider what makes a child vulnerable as a target. What are the myths, stereotypes, and brutal realities of being caught in the life? And what can parents and professionals do for prevention, and to foster healing. Our guest expert today is Savannah Sanders, a survivor, a mental health professional, and the author of the important book, Sex Trafficking Prevention, a trauma-informed approach for parents and professionals. Savannah Sanders is a leading advocate in the effort to stop human trafficking in the U.S., She has been involved in anti-trafficking training since 2010. She's particularly passionate about trauma-informed care and survivor leadership. She has provided testimony on Emmy-nominated television news segments, sex trade documentaries, and on talk radio. Savannah Sanders, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Thanks. Um, Savannah, let's start out by having our listeners understand what sex trafficking is and what are some of the myths and stereotypes about it. Okay. Yeah, so um, there is, um, so trafficking has often and for a long time really been seen as something that only happens um, outside of the U.S. and foreign countries. It's not really seen as something that's ha- that happens here. Um, but worldwide, it actually, victims of trafficking usually stay in the country of origin. Um, so here in America it's estimated that 82% of trafficking victims are from America. And if you go to Mexico, 79% of trafficking victims are from Mexico. Um, so that doesn't mean that there's not international trafficking. There most most definitely is. 
um, but that's been a, mi- a big misconception. Um, human trafficking kind of re- um, is around the entire topic of trafficking. It includes sex trafficking and labor trafficking. For sex trafficking, what that really means is um, anybody forced or coerced into having sex for the monetary gain of another individual. Um, it could also be the trade of sex for value of anything. It could be drugs, shelter, food. Um, if they're an adult, and they can be men or women, if they are an adult and there is somebody that's manipulating them, using threats of harm, forcing them um, to have sex for money, that that's considered sex trafficking. If they are under the age of 18, under federal definitions, they have that anybody that any child under the age of 18 that has sex for anything of value, again, food, clothing, shelter, money, drugs, anything like that, they are a trafficking victim. And there doesn't have to be somebody forcing or coercing them to do it because they are not of a legal age of consent to be able to consent to, um, to, to do that. Now, different states have different ages of consent as well, and that kind of plays into it in different areas. Um, but the premise is, is there's no such thing as a child prostitute. Um, the person that's buying sex from them at that point would be somebody who is exploiting them and using them and they would still Mm. qualify for trafficking services under our federal laws. Hmm. Now, when people think about sex trafficking, they always think some terrible place somewhere in this country, or as you say, outside the country, and um, or that prostitutes are criminals, but it's very hard for them to reconcile with what you've come to know, which is that there are thousands of children and teens who become targeted, and they come from every part of our culture and socioeconomic levels, maybe your story could be an important point of reference for that. Can you share some of your story as the backdrop of how it could be a child from really any neighborhood? Yeah, and I think the reason that it can be, I mean, kiddos who have experienced trauma are at the highest highest risk of trafficking um you know over 70 percent of trafficking victims have had um have had run-ins with the child welfare system have had um have been in foster care have ran away from home so they have a lot of high-risk vulnerabilities one of the main precursors though for most trafficking victims probably over 90% is um, having sexual abuse in their background. That's something that is incredibly prevalent with trafficking victims. It's something I hear over and over and over again when I'm working with individuals or I'm talking to other survivors that are working in this movement um, is that sexual abuse is very prevalent. And so why this is able to happen is because traffickers are really keen and privy to looking at and finding vulnerabilities within young people. And unfortunately, 
um, and I talk about this a bit in my book, is we as a society see all of these things as behavioral health issues, as behavior problems. Uh, you know, we have labels for everything, yet traffickers see those same things that we see as behavior problems, and they pick those up as vulnerabilities and target those individuals. Mm. And so we really need to get to a place in our society where we see children, vulnerabilities in children, and instead of exploiting them for that, we love them through that. And so in my own history... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to underscore for our listeners that, and, and I do want you to share your history, that the reason Savannah brings a different approach is she very importantly underscores the trauma-informed approach. That is, she's not just looking at the results, you know, a 13-year-old in the life. She's inviting us and this young person, if they're able to find treatment and hopefully get help, to take a look at what preceded that. And very often those causes or trauma that the young person may not even be able to talk about, even dawns on them that it is trauma, so that this approach is really so important. Um, go ahead, Savannah. Let's let's hear how you come from really knowing this. So for me, um, I started out pretty pretty stable. My parents were married. Um, My dad worked, my mom worked part-time and stayed home with me. Um, And then when I was about six years old, my parents got a divorce. And that was really the first thing that left me vulnerable. And the reason that was is my parents did a phenomenal job co-parenting. They were talking a lot. They had a lot of great communication, but they lived in two different states. And so for my parents, having me as their only child at the time, that that meant that they went from having two people that were able to switch off, that were, were not being abusive, um, to watch my back. The minute that they split up, um, they had to rely on neighbors and family members and community members to be able to care for me while they were working. Um, they weren't with me all the time while I was younger, and so that was really what left me vulnerable at first. The other thing is, is um, on my mom's side of the family, there's a significant history of sexual abuse um, that dates way back for all of her and her siblings and everybody um, on that side of the family. And so when I was staying with my mom, I was um, unfortunately raped by an older cousin my parents had done everything that you, we kind of tell parents to do. You know, my mom told me if anybody ever touches you under your bathing suit or where your bathing suit goes, you tell me right away. Um, you know, I'll believe you. My dad took a very physical um, physical approach to teaching me self-defense and how to defend myself if anybody ever tried to kidnap me or, or anything like that. And... Those were those are kind of things that we talk about, um, but none of those things would go on to protect me from being sexually abused from six to eighteen and used for sex pretty much my my entire life as a as a child. And after that instance of abuse, 
because it wasn't dealt with and because I didn't have somebody deal with it in the way that it needed to be dealt with, which was to believe me when I told, respond to me with love and get me the services that I needed and being able to embrace me and keep me safe from that point forward, how I responded as a child was full of shame, guilt, all sorts of things. And those are the things that other abusers picked up on. Those were the vulnerabilities that people saw. And so then I was molested from 7 to 12 by another family member. Um, My parents were trying to figure out the best way to keep me. They thought maybe if I lived with my mom, I'd do better. If I lived with my dad, I'd do better. So I wound up switching schools um, a lot by the time I was in eighth grade, dropped out of school shortly after that, got into around 12 and 13. I started cutting, had multiple suicide attempts. Um, And again, all of these things were just more and more vulnerabilities that other abusers would pick up on. So a lot of people tend to start to question the validity of victim stories when, you know, it just happens over and over and over again. Um, And honestly, in our society, we question the validity of anybody's story because we're not very victim-centered. We're Mm -hmm. very victim-blaming. And so a lot of, but when when you're showing that much vulnerability, that's what abusers are looking for. Now, that does not mean that there's not instances of, random acts of violence, you know, um, untargeted rapes, those kinds of things that happen where, you know, you're walking down the street. Those things absolutely do happen. But over 90% of abusers know their victim, and those are the aspects that we don't talk about. And those Mm -hmm. are the things that left me vulnerable to being trafficked. And so when I was 16, I was at a club, and when I came out, there was a trafficker outside of the club. He called us over, started talking to us, um, and it happened very fast. He invited us over to his house, and when I got over there, he simply sat me on the couch, told me that I'd be working for him, and didn't let me leave. And then after that, he put me into a massage parlor where um, I had to work about 18 to 22 hours a day, seven days a week for about nine months. Mm. It's uh, it's such a tragic, and in some ways, you've of course turned this around to help so many people. But it's a good example as you went through those years of that the the phrase that's so important, and that is that it's not what's wrong with this child or this teen, but what has happened to this child or this teen. And I think one of the very important points you make in the book is that. And this has been my experience working with people for many years. Very often, they do not define their experience as trauma. And if they were children when it happened, Savannah, as you were, very often they have the shame um, and the physical symptoms, but they don't have the words. In some cases, yeah, they just don't have the words to tell it. And that's why um, it becomes so important. And we're going to talk about some of the warning signs and the red flags. Often people have dissociated if they're very little, if they're young, if it's beyond what they could have coped with. So when people say, well, how come she never mentioned this before? Or why did, as you say, you said you would mention to people that you've been trafficked, but you very rarely at the beginning would say, 
what you just told all of us, which is there was persistent and chronic compounded assault and trauma. People tend not to say it. They split off. And I didn't even get to the point to be able to say any of that until I was 25. And I had seen mental health professional after mental health professional, and nobody had ever asked me, you know, if I had experienced any type of abuse or trauma. And to be honest, if somebody would have directly asked me, have you ever experienced abuse? Despite all of those things that I just told you, I would have said no, because I didn't see a single one of those things as abuse until I received psychoeducation on what abuse looked like. It didn't, it didn't compute in my head. I was unable to comprehend what abuse looked like because that was my normal experiences. Those had been very normalized in my head. And when it wasn't normalized, it was something that I had done wrong. And so when I was seeing all of these people who were mental health professionals and nobody was asking me if I had experienced trauma, I wasn't getting good assessments. And then when I was on Facebook one day, I saw the def- definition of sex slavery, and it said anybody forced or coerced into having sex for the monetary gain of another individual. Um, and in that moment, my whole life changed just from that little definition on Facebook, because for the first time in my life, I had something to call something I had gone through. And that's kind of why in the beginning, I focused about kind of talking about the trafficking and that part of it, because that was really still the only piece of victimization I had a name for until I started therapy and I started to understand what physical abuse was, sexual abuse, mental, spiritual. Once I was able to understand those definitions, it gave me a name for the things that I went through and then I was able to start processing it. But I couldn't even start processing the trauma until I knew what trauma was. And that's why I think the ACEs study is so incredibly important because it not only is it great questions to identify, but it's also psychoeducation right there in the questions themselves. Okay, we're going to take a break. And um, Savannah's just mentioned a literally a test that takes a moment that can identify some of this trauma. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here speaking with Savannah Sanders professional and the author of Sex Trafficking Prevention, a trauma-informed approach for parents and professionals. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do you long to have a better love life? Relationships can be hard, but throw sexual problems into the mix, and it's almost impossible to keep that close connection you want to have. Colette Milan, sex and relationship therapist, has been there. 
She will give you sound advice to turn your libido back on and bring the love back into your lovemaking. Tune in to Making Love with Colette Malone every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. What is your purpose? In the journey that we call life, our values are pre-programmed into us before we're born. During our lives, we pick up life's lessons and soul connections along the way. We explore this path on Soul Sessions with Solstice, featuring hosts Delana Davis and Rita McRae. Our program is designed to help you more confidently live from your heart and not just your head. Tune in live for Soul Sessions with Solstice every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're here speaking about sex trafficking with Savannah Sanders. She's the author of Sex Trafficking Prevention, a Trauma-Informed Approach for Parents and Professionals. And we were we just came off our first segment, which really laid out the reality that when there is a history of trauma, a child very often has had to split off the memory of it. They've often not been able to know that this isn't what people who love and care about you do. This is not how you ever need to be treated. And so their whole compass is sort of really not working well. And we talked about, from an adult point of view, a mini test that helps people. Savannah was saying that when she realized and read online what trauma and sexual abuse was, it was an eye-opener for her. And so we wanted, she's going to talk a little bit about the adverse childhood experience test that someone might take as an adult or teen, and then she's going to talk about how she approaches younger children. Let's start with the adverse childhood experience test, Savannah. Yes, so the adverse childhood experience test, which is the ACEs study, um, was developed by Dr. Folletti. And it, so one of the important key pieces to understanding the ACEs study is to understand why, why it's so, why it's so important. Um, people that have ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences, the higher their ACEs, the higher their score, the more likely they are to have heart disease, 
to use intravenous drugs, to have suicide, suicide attempts. Um, so there's so many things that play. And really, when we're looking at our society, we have all of these things and movements that we focus on, trafficking, bullying, obesity, you know, all of those kinds of things that we try to focus on to create a better world. And at the core of almost all of that is going to be adverse childhood experiences. Um, Savannah, maybe just, read a few questions just so we, that our listeners have a sense of the kind of questions and how and why it would be as important as you're saying. So the ACEs study is really good to implement in pretty much any type of intake to help understand a person's um, biopsychosocial history. I, I really recommend that it's incorporated into all intake processes because it's just um, really helpful information. But this is a test that you take after your 18th birthday, and it's to identify things that you experienced prior to your 18th birthday. So did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you? Act in a way that made you feel afraid that you might be physically hurt. Did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? Ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way? Attempt or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you? So the list goes on for 10 questions. And... Once you um, once you finish, you have an A score. So everybody has a, a score from zero to ten. Some people have zero adverse childhood experiences. Some people have ten adverse childhood experiences. I will say that there's a caveat to that, though, um, because, for instance, if you say yes to number three, where you were touched or fondled or sexually abused in any way, and that's the only adverse childhood experience you had but you had that going on for years and years, then you would still, even though your ACE score would only be one, you would still have similar effects to somebody who had, you know, compounded trauma over their lifetime. So, but it's a great, it's great to get that conversation started and to really understand it. And the way that it's worded, not only is it helping the helper who is working with that individual, but it's also helping the person who's taking it to understand, like, what abuse is and have something to, to call it. The, the, the other thing... Part- the oh, other thing I think, the, excuse me, the other thing I think it does is take the onus off the victim. For each of these, as as Savannah read, if it was in fact true, the person would score one. If it wasn't, it would be a zero. So at the end, if you had a 10, it meant you had a horrific childhood. But as she's suggesting, it takes the it takes the onus off the person who's who's taking the test. And I think more than anything else, what you said before is true, Savannah. It's psychoeducational because it makes meaning out of some experiences for which many don't have any words or can't even imagine or never thought of it for 30 years. Right. Well, and if you're somebody like me who, as a teenager, um, 
for example, was an intravenous drug user. And I do this test and I'm talking with the person that's working with me and I find out that I was, you know, 10 times more likely to use intravenous drugs because of my ACEs score. That really takes so much guilt and shame off of me as the individual because everything I ever did was a reaction to my trauma yet I always felt like I was just a bad person making bad choices and that was never true. Mm, So important. Now for little children or youngsters who are not 18 you work with so many um, young people how do you approach them in terms of helping them find a way to let their experiences be known to themselves and to you? So I will, um, I will preface that with I'm a, I'm a, I have a bachelor's in social work, so I'm not a licensed therapist or counselor. And so a lot of the stuff that I do is not in a therapy setting. It's more in a, a mentoring, case management, supportive setting in those ways. But one of the most important things that I, that I do is, one, we do give education on what abuse is. We might not necessarily use this the study but age appropriate terms of like naming things like if somebody who's 13 has disclosed that somebody touched them we will say you know that is that's called sexual abuse these are other ways that sexual abuse happens and giving that type of education but another really important piece with adults and children is to help identify resiliency Um, so one thing I've done with children is when we talk about these bad things that are have happened or are happening, um, I have them write them down on a, a plain sheet of paper, kind of around the outside of a paper. And then I have them draw themselves in the middle. And then we make a list of all of the safe people and safe places and all of the places that they've been that they feel safe and that they want to go back to, that they've had fun at, that they, you know, they weren't fearful in those settings. And we make a list of those things and then we draw a circle around our little person and we give one ring for each person and each safe place that we have. And that shows like these are your protective places. These are the people you can go to. These are the places that you can go to. And these are the things that build resiliency. Um, And then with the teens, I do a very similar thing um, where we talk about all of the people and safe places that we've had in our life and... um, encourage them to talk to their safe people in their life about some of the things that they've gone through and continuing to have those conversations instead of always holding all of that stuff stuff in and teaching them how to build a network of safe people versus unhealthy people. Mm, the resiliency building is, is just a wonderful aspect of what you're doing with the uh, mentoring. Now, what are some of the red flags for young children, um, you know, children of um, middle school and the teens that we can alert both parents and professionals to take account of? So one of the things I will say is that it's um, incredibly important for kids to understand how, um, what leads them at risk to engaging in risky behavior, which is, you know, abuse and all of those kinds of things. I, a lot of traffickers will 
um, use social media now to recruit recruit kids and teens. And a lot of people are kind of taking the taking the route of wanting to, you know, shut off Wi-Fi and keep kids away from the Internet and those kinds of things. But we really have to get to a point where we're teaching kids how to navigate, um, navigate those things. And if they've experienced trauma, they're going to be at higher risk of engaging in risky behavior online and outside of the house. So early on, um, some of the things that you can watch for if your kids have been abused is a, is a sudden change in behavior, um, sexualized behavior. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy around that because a lot of people will say that, like, self-exploration is very, is normal, but, and it is, but what happens is, is people assume sexualized behavior is self-exploration. And so then it gets very convoluted and it's not, it's not, it's not that simple. Um, so if it's like compulsive masturbation, um, acting out on other children, those kinds of things, that's not self-exploration, that's acting out. Um, and then wetting the bed, drops in grades, all sorts, um, fear, aggression, anxiety, all of those things are, are signs that abuse has happened. And I think for me as a parent, um, it's really important for me to be aware of my language all the time around my kids and my thought process because I, you know, I've written a book on this. I train all over the country on how to, how to prevent abuse. And I still will never say that my kids will tell me because I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. cannot go into any situation thinking that I know for sure my kids will tell me because we have a great relationship because we have open authentic communication we have all of the things that I would hope for a family and I still cannot say that they will tell me for sure because abuse changes their chemical makeup it change it's shameful it hurts um, and so I have to be aware of the signs not just rely on my children to tell me and you do speak in your book about how do we have the prevention conversations as well as how do we respond if we do think a child has in some way been harmed and they're not disclosing? And so let me ask you that. How do we respond? So, Go ahead. Um, yeah. So for me, when I, was, when I was raped at six, my uncle came into the room shortly after and saw that something had happened. He didn't know exactly what, um, but he basically punished me and told me that if I promised never to do it again, that he wouldn't tell my mom. So immediately, my six-year-old little brain went to, oh, I did something wrong. This is my fault. I shouldn't do this again, you know, and yet I was the victim. That one, that one reaction is most likely what changed the entire course of my life because of the way he responded in that moment. If I would have had somebody that responded with getting me the help that I needed, believing me when I first told, um, surrounding me with love and support and good therapy and all of those things, my life would have most likely came out much, much different. 
um, because I would have dealt with it at that time. Not that I wouldn't have been changed forever and that it didn't have negative effects on me, but it was the, it's the compounded trauma that causes so much harm that takes so long to get over. So it's yep. really important that parents, one, don't ever punish, no matter what the circumstances, even if it's your child who is six, who's just acted out on another six-year-old, you can't res- you can't respond by punishing because you have to find out why, mm. and you're not going to find out why if you don't if you start punishing. Um, Very well and- said. We're going to have to take a break, Savannah, and we're going to come back and um, talk more about how parents can react. Um, we're also going to I'm going to ask you how you did get out of the life. Um, because you're married with children, and I know that our listeners are probably wondering, where did you get that strength? So let's just take a few minutes, and we'll come right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and really, we've been so informed today by Savannah Sanders, author of Sex Trafficking Prevention, a trauma-informed approach for parents and professionals. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. 
You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're just about to talk about how, we're asking the question, what and how can a parent respond when they find that their little one has somehow been involved with something that is is actually potentially dangerous, damaging, traumatic in some way. And you have an example from one of your own little ones, Savannah. Maybe you can share that. Yeah, absolutely. I um, So I have six kids, um, and we'll definitely get into that in a, a few minutes about my healing journey and how I got out of the life and all of those all of those things, and I will say that's probably the number one reason I'm able to be the parent that I am is because I did my own work, and that has kind of that really shifted my that really shifted my mindset um, because I used to parent completely out of fear. I was terrified that my kids would have the same experiences I did, and so everything I did was fear based. Wouldn't let them stay the night anywhere. Wouldn't let them go anywhere. Was constantly which caused a lot of harm, to be honest. Um, But once I went through my own healing, I started to understand that it was more important to have open, authentic conversations with my kids. And so, um, so when I'm, when I tell this story, understand that a lot of pre-work went into this, right? Like it didn't just happen where I sat down and had this conversation one day, but you know, we started learning about body safety and boundaries and respecting nose and, um, having conversations about abuse and physical abuse and sexual abuse and drug addiction and all sorts of different topics have already been um, taught to my kids. Now, I talked to my kids about everything, and I had talked to all of my older kids about pornography and taught them, you know, if they ever see it, they need to come and tell me right away, just like if somebody tried to show them their penis or vagina, they should come and tell me right away. We want to have that same exact type of conversation around pornography. And I'm this advocate going all over the place, trying to teach people about it. Um, But I did not think I needed to have that conversation with my five-year-old yet, because I just didn't think that that was a conversation I needed to have with my five-year-old. I thought maybe seven years old was a good time to start those conversations at the time for pornography specifically. Um, And then my five-year-old was exposed to porn on a cell phone on a field trip during kindergarten. And it, um, a lot of people don't understand that exposure to pornography at young ages is similar to sexual abuse, it has a lot of the same ramifications on the brain and psyche. And the way I found out was I found all sorts of porn searches on my computer and they were spelled horribly wrong and Google corrected it for them and um, they had done a lot of searches. And so at first I went in the room and I bawled my eyes out, not in front of my child. And I think that's a total normal reaction. But the important thing is not to do it in front of your kiddo because that's going to bring up shame and all sorts of stuff. So my suggestion for parents is if their kids have experienced something, whether it be sexual abuse, bullying, violence, um, saw something horrific at a friend's house, anything like that, any of those big things that are tough conversations that we have to have, I always say take a step back, 
do some, you know, process it, call your best friend, cry, yell, scream, do all of the stuff that you need to do to process that out before having the conversation. Um, Because you want to be in a good space to be safe and calm for your child. So I went in the room and I always do like a phone phone a friend kind of thing. And I have parents make a list of three to five people that are good, supportive family, friends, other parents that they know um, that they can call and talk about that they're not going to get judgment from all that kind of stuff. So that's what I did. I called like three of my friends. I said, this is what my plan is to address it. I kind of got their feedback from it. Um, And so then when we were able to have that conversation about seven hours after the fact that I had found out, because I, instead of reacting, I had to take a step back. Otherwise, I would have just been like a bawling mess in front of my son and trying to figure out what to do, you know, and I wouldn't have asked good questions and it, it would have felt very shameful for him. So then we sat down and we just asked very calmly what had happened. We knew, you know, we knew that he was doing those searches. Um, but if I wouldn't have asked the right questions, I wouldn't have found out that he had been exposed by somebody else. It would have just been focused on the fact that I had found it on the computer. Um, and so so we talked to him a bit about, you know, we saw these things and he said, I don't want to talk about it. And I said, I understand that it's something very scary to talk about. You're not in trouble. Mommy just wants to find out how to keep you safe and how to best help you with this. Um, It's not good for your brain or your heart for you to see that stuff. And mommy just wants to make sure you're safe. So after saying that about four or five times, he, he started to calm down and realize that he wasn't in trouble, that we were just there to, you know, help him. Um, He started telling us the whole story. It's such a great approach. Really a great approach. Thank you. And you know, I had no idea what I was doing in the moment because <laughs> I felt like, you know, this it was triggering for me as a sexual abuse survivor, for one. Um, and there were lots of things about it. Like, I didn't know if I was doing it right or if he should be punished for looking it up. And, or, you know, I didn't really know for sure if I was doing things right. Um, but the other thing I did was the minute I found out that had happened he had a play date scheduled that weekend and I canceled that and I didn't do that in a way to punish him at all um but I actually didn't schedule any play dates or birthdays or any or not birthdays but any play dates or sleepovers for the next six months um not in a way where I said you're not going to play dates for the next six months at all It's just the reason behind me doing that was because he was at such high risk of either being abused or acting out on somebody else at that time that I needed to make sure that we had dealt with it psychologically before um, we put anybody else at risk or put anything else, you know, put him at risk. Well, what I think is... Well, just in the interest of time, what I think is so important is you you really took into account more than anything, he needed protection, understanding, and not to feel a bad, damaged um, self, because that would have been really adding sort of insult to injury. I think mm-hmm. whatever age, and we've had other guests, John Duffy, the available parent, the whole idea being... Um, 
it's the it's the embracing of the child where they are and trying to recognize the context and that when they feel they have you you as a protector who's not shaming or blaming they have the possibility of learning rather than hiding so it's really mm-hmm. it seems to me and i think it's true it doesn't matter if you're a professional or not when do we ever know exactly what we're doing, but we do the best we can. But I think yours is really quite informed by your own life. Uh, in the interest of time, if you can give us a really just short reason, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, how on earth did you get out of the life given all that you suffered? Um, where did you find your resilience to go on and be a mom, a professional, uh, and a help to so many people? Um, yeah, so when I was, um, so I met my husband when I was 18, and I, I was literally fresh off the streets at that point. I had only been clean from meth for two weeks, and I had only, you know, I had been trafficked the year pre- before that, and I had been homeless and all sorts of stuff. Um, so when I met my husband, um, I moved in with him pretty quickly, and I just kind of dove straight into parenting and and had a roof over my head and a car in the driveway and food in my belly and but I suffered for the next seven years because I had never dealt with my trauma and then that day that I was on Facebook and I saw the definition of trafficking um, it gave me something to call what I had been through and so I reached out to the organization and told them and told this complete stranger on the other end of the phone my entire life story and I was blaming myself, and he stopped me, and he said, Honey, I don't know you, and I don't know your story, but I know that wasn't your fault. And that, and I was 25 years old before I ever found out that all of that stuff that I went through as a kid wasn't my fault. Mm. And that it's... was the day that my healing journey began, um, because I was able to let go of all of the shame that I felt. And I had a lot of work to do, and I had a lot of psychological damage, I mean, literal damage to my brain that I had to heal from. But once I, instead of seeking out mental health medicine at that moment, I started to seeking out help for what I had gone through versus what my symptoms were. And mm-hmm. within a, and I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which was what I actually had versus all of the other diagnoses I had received. Um, I got off all of my medication and then I started working with a trauma therapist and we did a lot of talk therapy sometimes two to three hours a week I would work with her and a lot of it was psychoeducation on what abuse was naming who abused me understanding the effects of that abuse and within a year and a half 98 percent of my PTSD symptoms were completely gone and I uh, got into school around that same time and just thrived and got two full ride scholarships and was able to write my book and my life has just been this incredible amazing healing journey um, since I was about 25 uh, because I have 12 years of trauma to heal from it wasn't going to happen in a three-year six or nine month program this was Great. lifelong trauma and it's- by doing that I've been able to um, live a completely free life and still work towards being the best person that I can be for myself. Savannah, it's just an unbelievably uplifting story that is so inspiring. Given we don't have, we only have a few minutes left. How will our listeners? How could they find your site and your book? 
Okay. Um, yeah. So my book talks a lot more in depth about a lot of the stuff we've talked about today. It's definitely, it's got little pieces of my story in it, but it's really my social work perspective and using my own story as a case study. So I talk about what went wrong when I disclosed before and how people in my family and community could have responded better, what they did right, what they did wrong, and what I do differently with my own children now. Um, You can find my book, Sex Trafficking Prevention, A Trauma-Informed Approach for Parents and Professionals on Amazon. Um, And then my website is actually sextraffickingprevention.org. And there um, I'm a speaker, consultant, trainer. I work one-on-one with people with coaching and uh, do a lot of different things around prevention and child abuse prevention and Just so everybody knows, trafficking prevention is just a piece of the puzzle. When we're talking about trauma, we're talking about the whole, the whole puzzle. Um, because everything we're working on as a society has a root in trauma. Um, and so it's really important for us to address that first and then the symptoms start to fall away. It's terrific. Um, I have to thank you. You're, you're translating your life experiences into education and advocacy and prevention. Your book is wonderful. It's a gift. And so is your presence on our show today. Thank you very much, Savannah Sanders. Thank I'd you. Like, okay. I'd like to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show by tonight. After 6, this will be a podcast available at any time, as well as on your iPhone, on iTunes, on the Voice America Psych Up Live um, site, on my radio site. Please feel free to drop me a comment or a question. Until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 